The story that we learn today is the story of Daniel. It's probably one of the most unusual biographies in the Bible. If you want to go to the Old Testament book of Daniel, written after himself, autobiography, here is a man who spent merely all of his life in the public eye as a government leader. But yet there was no dirt found on this guy. That can't be said of a guy like Moses. A guy like Moses, uh, he looked both directions, and then he murdered a guy thinking that no one was watching. And that can't be said of the heroes of the face that we watched by the name of Noah, a guy by the name of Noah who, after being rescued by God and being so faithful, even counted righteousness in his day, um, gets on dry land and has himself a drink or two or too many and gets drunk before the Lord and loses his mind, and God holds it against him. How about a guy like Daniel who was credited as being a man after God's own heart because of his repentive spirit after he had sinned, but yet he was a man that was cluttered with adultery and murder. But Daniel, you can't find dirt on Daniel. Even when faced with death, Daniel stays firm to the faith. Now, Daniel is a guy who has two qualities that I want us to learn and possess as we walk out of here, and we're only going to be able to do it with God's strength in our life. Number one quality is character. Daniel boldly displays character. Number two is integrity. Daniel has incredible integrity. In chapter one of Daniel, we're introduced to him, and we're introduced to the fact that a nation called the Babylonian nation, the Babylonian Empire, has taken over uh, the Israelites, has taken over the Hebrew people. And led by a guy by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians had little respect for God. They had little respect for the things of God and the things that God had held sacred. So when they invaded the Israelites, they totally desecrated all the things of the temple or of the tabernacle and those things. And then they also looked at the people of Israel, the people of God, down their nose. But they knew that the people of God had something to offer. So the king, in his wisdom, said, why don't we find some guys that can help out our kingdom and make us stronger, and maybe they'll come from the enslaved people like the Israelites. Now, you got to remember, the story of Daniel sounds an awful lot like the story of Joseph. He is enslaved, but he comes from uh, nobility. He has this great, rich heritage that stands behind him, yet when the Babylonians come, they take captive of him, and they put him into a new culture, a new climate, and it's completely different than anything, anything he recognizes or he knows. Daniel was about 16 or 18 years of age when he was brought into this slavery and then chosen to become this guy that could help build up this pagan empire because he possessed some qualities. Now go with me to Daniel chapter 1, look at verse 4 with me. Here's some of the qualities that the king was looking for. He was looking for young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude, For every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Now, he was rounding up these young Hebrew men. They were going to be trained for three years. They would personally serve the king himself, and then they would help to enhance this pagan kingdom called Babylon. And here's Daniel. Daniel is new to all of this. I mean, his family is no longer overshadowing him anymore. They're not saying, mom's not saying of Daniel, you know you shouldn't do that. Or his dad's not slapping him upside the head and saying, Daniel, don't behave that way. He's 16, 18 years old. He is on his own. New culture, new climate, new teaching, new opportunities. Think of Daniel like a first-year student in college, a freshman. Mom's dad, some of you have been down this road. You have, 
you have trained the child in the way he should go, and then you are a nervous wreck when he has to go. You send him and you drop him off at IU, and you're thinking, oh, dear Lord, I'm putting him in an environment where there is a different teaching of persuasion and background that is different. There's different morals and ethics that are going to be taught to this son or daughter, and they're going to be showered with these things, indoctrinated maybe with these things, and you grip your steering wheel off. You said your goodbyes and had your kisses, and you're holding onto that wheel tight in sweats, thinking, I hope my son or daughter stays true to the faith. Because you know the difficulties of what it's like when you are pressed by the crowd to do something different than what you've always have known to do and know by God is right. Daniel's on his own. He's forcibly on his own. He had to relocate to the capital city of, of idolatry and the capital city of sin. And he is uprooted from his culture. He inhabits a new culture. And now he kind of takes this place of honor because he just happens to be handsome. He happens to be a quick learner. He happens to have all the right skills for the trade. And now he is under the watchful eye of the king. He's under the watchful eye of his peers. He's under the watchful eye of all the people that have taken him in and want to train him a new way of thinking. Some of you, some of you in this room, you know the results of what it's like to be in an environment that doesn't have respect for God, could care less about faith, and could care less about God's righteous standards. For you, it could have been, it could have been college. You join a fraternity, sorority. They don't hold the same morals and ethics that you did, and you had a choice to follow the crowd or to bow to the cross. Some of you have been put in a business where things are not always on the up and up. The boardroom has discussions that don't seem very godly and very uh, maybe even unrighteous. Or you've been in the break room and you heard a story that was funny but crude, and yet you thought, I've got, I've got a story that's equally crude. Or you're on the radio in your semi because you've been hauling all day, and you've heard the radio chatter and banter, and you want to keep up because you're funny too. And you've been put in an environment that doesn't honor God. It doesn't care about the things that are sacred to God. And you had a moment there. Am I going to conform to this, or am I going to be different? Daniel had a moment much like that. Let's see what Daniel does, because what, what did you do? Well, Daniel's different. Daniel doesn't let the small things get the better of him. When faced with his first challenge of conforming to culture that surrounded him, does he stay connected with God's soaring standards, or does he sway in secular society? Here's a man of bold character. Let me define character real quick before we move forward. I want all of us on the same page about what character really is. Character is what is seen in us. It's what our heart boils out and what people see within us. It is the outward example of who we really are. That's what character is. Character is also steering our reputation. The late coach, John Wooden of UCLA, he had said, be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think of you. Your character, you see, is steering your reputation, what people think of you. And let's just, let's just all be mature for a moment and quit being immature. People are judging you. You say, but no one should judge me. People are judging you. Isn't that why you 
try to dress your best and put on some makeup and take a shower because you know people are judging you. And you're trying to meet their expectations or climb above them. Friends, let's just clear the table and get mature for a minute. People are judging one another. They're watching your character for right or for wrong. It doesn't matter. This is the real world. What does Daniel do? Daniel knows. Daniel knows people are watching him. Daniel's understanding that his character is interpreting his reputation. Some of you know this. You have a tenacious work ethic. And every time you show up and you clock in, you are immediately at work and ready to go and you're there right till you have to clock out and you put in an honest day's labor and your reputation is, wow, she has just a strong worth ethic. And because of your character, it has made your reputation. Some of you in this room have been faithful to the point of death to a spouse that has been ill and bedridden and you have just carried it out and you trudged it along and year after year you have been so faithful to that spouse that has been hurting and in pain and your reputation is he is so faithful even to the point of death. But just as there is good character and good reputation, there is also, there's also bad character. There's also bad reputation. It could be that when someone mentions anybody who has just a little bit more success than you do, maybe on a financial end, you get, I mean, the claws come out. You think, well, they have their big house because they're a person of privilege, or they have their shinier car than I do because, and then you don't let them have any kind of real privilege, and you don't have them have any kind of real gains in life. You don't Say, well, you know, they've done pretty well. Their business is doing great. No, and because of that, every time something comes out of your mouth like that, you, you're be coming to get this reputation as an envious, jealous person. Or how about the guy that maybe loses his cool a couple times at, you know, the hatchet basketball game, and that's not who he is necessarily. I don't know if he's like that at home or not, but a little bit of the character comes shining through, and he is upset because there might have been some missed plays or missed opportunities for points and he's screaming at the top of his lungs and people are thinking i wonder if he's like that at home this is just a basketball game what's he do when his kids come home with an f so that reputation begins to build off of his character and and he becomes known as the angry guy even though he's only lost his school once or twice You know, Daniel's building a reputation in Babylon. He is an opportunity, new friends, new faces, new challenges. And he is steering his reputation, and he's not taking it lightly. Every decision matters to Daniel. He's a person of God, and he wants his character to shine through. He's at a crossroads. What to do? The king has put him at his table. A special meal has been prepared, a meal that he's going to eat for the next three years. A meal which... He hadn't had before because under the Babylonian captivity, if you read the biblical stories of what these guys had to eat when the Babylonians came and overran Israel, they were eaten off of donkey heads and there were men and women considering boiling their children so they could have some meat to eat. I mean, we're talking about a hungry soul at the dinner table here and yet he's not gonna let his stomach dictate what happens, he's going to let his mind and his heart, his character, reflect the outcome of these events. And so the meal is prepared his way. And here comes this choice platter. I mean, like the best five-star restaurant you can have set before Daniel. And he looks at it, and he gawks, and his mouth drools. And every other Hebrew boy there is digging right in. And there's Daniel. 
and Daniel recognizes something about the platter. Either one of two things. Some, some commentators think that maybe the meat that was prepared on the platter that day was offered to idols. Being a pagan culture, the Babylonians probably offered their food to idols. The tradition of the Hebrews was we don't eat food to any other false god. We only eat food that's been offered in thanks to our God. More than likely... Daniel looked at the platter and he recognized that there was food on there, all the meat on there, that went against God's dietary laws that he had set in the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. We're not going to get into the depths of that. It's kind of, kind of boring, but the Jews still today, they still honor those dietary laws, kosher or unkosher. Those are still laws that they, they still believe in and, and hold dear. And Daniel was faced with, do I have the pulled pork tonight or not? God said we're not to have Pork, do I have the pulled pork? Well, I might if there's some sweet and sour barbecue sauce. No, that's not what he says. Daniel recognizes that the the food is deemed unclean. For whatever reason, he recognizes that if I take this, this is going against my my moral code of what God has put in my life. And he saw the meat from unclean animals, and it must have reminded him of God's holy law. And he has this opportunity. He faces this crossroads. Do I go with the flow or do I go against the grain? This is a moment in Daniel's life. To eat or not to eat? I, don't, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to eat. But let me tell you something about your character and my character. Genuine character comes from principles that you intentionally live out. Genuine character comes from these principles that we intentionally, we force ourselves to live these things out. And he's faced with abandoning his principles. There's two kinds of people when it comes to abandoning our principles or not. There are conformers. Those are the people that allow the crowd to conform them so that they look like the crowd. And there are transformers. These are people that say, the crowd will not conform me. My convictions have formed me, and I'm going to transform the crowd that's around me. And Daniel decides to be a transformer. Friends, the reason why chapter 1 is so important, it not only shows us his life, but chapter 1 reveals to us how we can make our own lives even greater and our faith even stronger with the little things. Look with me in Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 8. It says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself when the food came around, the royal food and the wine, and he asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself in this way. Friends, genuine character are principles that are intentionally lived out. That food has either been offered to an idol or that food is not a part of God's holy law. He told me not to eat it, so I'm not going to eat it. Now notice the wording. He resolved himself. This is a mental play here. He's thinking through his actions. He's determining the pros and cons of all that's going on. He reasons to himself. He reasons to himself. <laughs> like a cartoon character that has an angel on one side and the devil on the other side. And can you just see it? Daniel, it's just meat. What's the big deal, man? You've been starving. Your, your body's telling you, eat. The friends around you, they've all given in to the peer pressure. And they're saying, Daniel, what are you doing? Just eat it. And Daniel's saying, I can't eat it. I've got this conviction in me. I've got this principle that I am intentionally living out. I'm weighing out my mind. Daniel, friends, is using his mind to follow his conviction of faith. Now, you're saying it's just food? You know what Daniel's saying? No. It's not just food. 
He's saying, this is a moment to shape my character. And if I fail with this little thing in this pagan culture, I'm certainly going to fail when the big things come my way. I love what the Living Bible says. Daniel made up his mind not to eat. Have you made up your mind to follow Christ? Have you made up your mind to set the example at work? Have you made it in your mind? Because so many things happen in the battle of the mind. You've heard the saying, sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character. Friend, you've just reaped yourself a destiny. And that's what people are going to remember you by. It starts in the mind. So Daniel asks the chief official if there is anything else on the menu. And the chief official says, this is the menu. You're going to eat it. Daniel comes up with a play. He's looking for an alternative. Friend, there is always an alternative. There is always an alternative when... When you think you have to bow to the crowd, there's always an alternative to stand for Christ. So Daniel pleads with this guy, and he says these words in verse 12 of chapter 1. Please test your servants. His, the servants, there's four guys that were standing above all things. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You'll find out that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 are certainly refined by fire. And they stand for the Lord. It says, just watch us for 10 days. Test us. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with, catch these, this phrase, with what you see. With what you see. Judge us by what you see. Do you understand what Daniel is saying? He's saying, go ahead and judge me. Go ahead and peer into my life, peer into my character. Judge me on this one. I'm verbalizing that I'm taking a stand for God. Go ahead and see if this doesn't work out. Verse 14, so he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Now let me point out something else about our character. And that is genuine character is seen by others. It's intentionally lived out, but it's also seen by others. Don't think it isn't. Who who you are is going to ultimately be revealed. You can put up enough masks and you can put up enough fronts but eventually the facade is going to show some character cracks some character flaws and we're going to be able to see your heart sooner or later genuine character is seen by other people and daniel says i am not going to fake my way out of this here i'm going to show you exactly who i am and i'm going to verbalize it i'm a man of god i'm going to do godly things and if that gets me into trouble so be it he doesn't hide his intent now think how he could hide his intent like some of us could hide our intent here. We want to live to the higher standard of God, but we don't want to tell people that we're living the higher standard of God. We could have easily sat at that table and we could have claimed a, an allergy of some, I can't eat pork, I've got an allergy. Don't give me that, I'll, I'll die if I eat that. We could have claimed like some kind of crazy sickness for the next three years. Every time you come to the table, oh, I'm just not feeling well, I probably can only eat vegetables here today. We, we could have begun to, Look at that food, put it on our plate, and then every time we went for a bite, just kind of flick it over our shoulder or pass it underneath the the table and hope that the dog came and got it. We could have come up with all sorts of clever ways not to verbalize our intentions, but yet still try to stay true to the principles of God. But Daniel just says, no, man, I'm not going to falsify why I'm doing this. Let me tell you why I'm doing this. I'm standing for the Lord. He had this great way of saying, this is what I believe. This is who I am. I love the Lord and I'm following in faith. And you know what everybody else was doing at the table? They were saying, hey, Daniel, man, what stays in Babylon. What happens in Babylon stays here. Daniel understood things like Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, I mean, you think you 
have some principles to play out? No, no, no. Above all, you think you have some things to guard in your life? Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from where? Right here. And you can say all day long, no, that's not really who I am. <laughs> that's not me. You know, what you, you know what your actions just told us? That is you. you. You can't judge me like that. No, 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 we can. You just displayed your true character. I know it may have happened once, but some crack happened in your character and we got to see a glimpse of it. People judge you, friends, by your character. Have you ever been told, uh, I mean, maybe some will-meaning person has tried to come and say, you know, that's not, really, that's not really their heart. I mean, what you saw in the police report the other day, that's not really who they are. It's really what they did. Or, or how about, I know, I know she's sassy and I know she's rude, but really inside she's a nice person but she's never displayed that character to us. Let me tell you something. The heart bows long before our knees bend to things. People are watching you and they're putting a reputation on you and a label on you based on what they see, the good and the bad. People are judging you by your character. You know, God's judging you by your character. Like the religious leaders, I mean, he went after the religious leaders of his day, and he knew that they looked good on the outside, they performed all the right religious duties, they did everything, where people would say, man, they're so holy, they're so perfect, and Jesus said, no, they're not. They're corrupt by sin, everything looks good on the outside, but then he goes on to say, you hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, whoa, they're full of bones of the dead and everything is unclean. You're just looking good on the outside, but on the inside, your heart is a mess. And from time to time, we get to see that messy heart of yours because the facade has cracked. People are watching. Who you really are is gonna be seen by other people and who you really are is obviously seen by God our Father. So let me tell you this. Let's just learn from Daniel. Let's learn from Daniel. So when your coworkers say, we're going on a business trip, will you come with us? We need your skills at selling. And you say, okay, I'm going to go on the business trip, but know this, I'm not going to get involved in the antics that you guys do late at night. Or students. You might be doing okay, decent in a class, and you get somebody that comes up to you and does not do well in class at all. They're going to say to you, hey, let me see your homework. You can say, no, 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 I'll help you with your homework, but you're going to be able to discover your own answers, not mine. Ecclesiastes says, for God will bring every deed into judgment, every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or it's bad. So let me point out something about our character. God blesses people of genuine, godly character genuine godly character. Steve Ropecki is a Christian businessman. He was at a conference filled with thousands of other business leaders. There was a guest speaker on the platform, and he was being honored by those that were there. He went into his speech at the main event, and every other word Steve Ropecki said, the guy used the Lord's name in vain. He couldn't stop and just being filled with conviction. Ropecki stands up on his chair, standing out like a sore thumb, Amongst thousands of business leaders, he says, you leave Christ out of this. He yells it above the PA. 
The guy never used the Lord's name in vain again for the rest of the speech. And after the event was over, there were a few people that had ran up to the stage to shake the guest speaker's hand, but there was a long line to shake Steve Rapecki's hand and to say, thank you. We wanted to say the same thing. We just didn't have the guts to say it. Daniel, Daniel stands up and he takes this calculated risk of faith and God blesses his genuine godly character. He's putting his life on the line saying, God, I don't know what's gonna happen if I choose to eat these vegetables. I don't know if I'm gonna look better or if I'm gonna look worse over the next 10 days, but I do know this. I'm not going to compromise my character anymore. Verse 15, here's what happens. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine, and he gave them vegetables instead. To those four young men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, notice this, notice the blessing for genuine character. God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. That's exactly what the king was looking for. Verse 20, move down to verse 20 with me. In every matter of wisdom and of understanding about which the king questioned them. Now the king is judging, not just the people there around the table. Now the king is making a judgment, a snap judgment on his character. He found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel had to choose between faith or fear. And as a young man, Dan, or Daniel had to witness the horrors of war. He had to witness how these Babylonians um, took captive of them. He had to witness how they cut them off from food. He was probably fearful of the king, fearful of the people that were around him and in charge of him. And he just says, I don't care what's going to happen. I'm going to be a principled man. I'm going to display godly character here. And Daniel, Daniel shows us this bold, bold character that I want you to have and that I want to have myself. I want this story of Daniel 1 to motivate you and me. To motivate us in our moments of truth when we're asked to stand or to bow, when we're asked to conform or transform. I want this story to be represented in our heart and it springs up. Well, Daniel made a decision that day. He resolved it in his heart and it might have seemed like something small, but he took a stand for God. And may the counsel of God's word like just penetrate your heart because from the heart, good things can come out of it and bad things come out of it depending on what we put in it. So put things in it that are good like God's counsel, biblical counsel. Counsel like Proverbs chapter three where Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't trust in yourself, trust in God, not your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. But God, I might lose my job if I become a transformer rather than a conformer. God, I may not be well-liked if I become a transformer rather than a conformer. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Resolve it in your heart. God blesses people of genuine godly character. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. You know what Jesus says? You need to be afraid of God. Because God can do both. So have respect for the things of God. Don't be afraid of man. Don't bow to man. Bow to God. So Daniel's faced with either conforming or transforming, and he decides to transform. But Daniel is not just a man of, of 
great character. Dan, Dan, Daniel is a man of impeccable integrity. If character traits are those things that come from the heart that others can see, integrity is who we are when nobody is watching. C.S. Lewis, a Christian author, he put it like this, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching us do the right thing. When the shades are pulled down, when the door is shut, when we think it's so dark, surely no one can watch this. Who are we when no one is looking? You know, we're in the process of hiring for a couple of full-time staff positions here, worship ministry, children's ministry, and because of that, that puts you in a position where you get a flood of resumes and cover letters, and we have found, we have found while reviewing resumes that everybody looks good on paper. We've found that. Everybody looks good on paper. That you can make yourself look really good on paper, but what paper doesn't represent is what's in their heart. And what I really want to know about these applicants are who they are when no one is looking. Like, for example, early in the morning in little old Washington, Indiana, 3 o'clock in the morning, and they're at a long red light, are they going to obey the law or are they going to just go on through thinking no one's looking? I want to know when they are in a place of boredom at their home and they're alone and the TV has nothing really to watch, what are they going to watch? Or when they're on the internet, their computer, and they just are tired and lonely, what are they going to search for? Because they can hide that. They're not going to put that on their resume. Who are they when no one is looking? Who are you when no one is looking? Who's Daniel when no one is looking? Well, let's find out. Daniel chapter 6. He's much older in years. The guy's now about 60-some years older than where we found him at the king's table. He's about 80 years old. Have you guys noticed yet in our Heroes series that God calls a lot of these people into ministry and to doing incredible things at the age of 80? That scares some of you. You thought you were retired and God's saying, no, 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 you're not 80 yet. I'm just getting ready for you. Daniel's removed from the king's table. He's not even close that's just such hindsight to him. Nebuchadnezzar's dead. He's gone. The Babylonian Empire's gone. Four empires have come and gone. He now sits beside the throne of a guy by the name of King Darius. He is the ruler of the Persian Empire, and he just adores Daniel. Daniel's gained the favor of this king. Look at chapter 6, verse 3. Now, Daniel, it says, so distinguished himself. What a great language. Amongst the administrators and the satraps, you can might as well think of that as the House of Representatives and the Senate, by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Like here he is a government official, everybody is getting, everybody's on the take, and Daniel's not on the take, he's distinguished himself above everybody else. Now let me quickly finish this sermon out by outlining Daniel chapter 6 to you and pointing out some, some things as integrity that relate to our life as we look at Daniel and the story of him in the lion's den and show you this guy incredible integrity. First, Daniel was found upright in this story. He was found upright. There were some men in government that had some evil intentions to try to find some political or personal dirt on Daniel. But they couldn't find any dirt on Daniel. Daniel lived too upstanding of a lifestyle, a too principled lifestyle, too godly lifestyle for them to find any dirt so that they could discredit his authority. Now look at verse 4 of chapter 6. 
At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. I mean, so these guys, these jealous guys, they're looking for some way to smear Daniel and his reputation, and they realize it's not going to work. We don't have anybody from his college days coming forward and saying, you know, when we were in this fraternity together, we just drunk it up, man. This guy, we called him the keg, kegerator. There, there's no one who used to say, you know, when we were just starting to get our, our legs, our feet in government, there were a few times when I saw him take some bribes and there was some corruption in his government. No one came forward. Like, there was no mistress that came to the media and said, you know, Daniel and I, we, we, we had this affair. It was 40 years ago. Notice this. There wasn't anybody from the Babylonian captivity that sat around the table with him that day that was able to say, yeah, he may be faithful to his government, but he's not faithful to his God. He ate the meat. And you're not supposed to do that, you know. He's found upright. Second, Daniel was found obedient. Now, the only way that Daniel could be taken down was his devotion to God. And so these corrupt men who are just jealous and envious of Daniel decide to get the ear of the king and they persuade King Darius to write this foolish law that says that no one can pray to any other god but to King Darius. Now, Darius is swayed by these men and he decides to put that into a law. And there's a punishment that if anybody prays to any god outside of King Darius, they'll be thrown into this lion's den, probably a cave where they had entrapped some lions, they found a big rock, and they've put the big rock in front of the cave, and they were just starving those lions out so that they would become happy with any meal of flesh that would be fed to them. And that's the punishment. So here's what Daniel does, knowing the punishment. Check out this guy's integrity. Verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published. When he had learned that there was this law in place that you couldn't pray to any other god but to the king, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open. Daniel, shut the window, brother. And three days a day, three times a day, can we just do one silent prayer? You, you, you don't even have to look like you're praying. He got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God. Notice the words, just as he had done before. He always did this. Why am I gonna change it? Matt, why wouldn't I? Keep my windows open. I always keep my windows open, Matt. This is what I do. This is who I am. I learned a long time ago. Stand up for your faith. I learned a long time ago. How to be a man of integrity. I learned a long, long time ago. How to be a principled person. I'm not going to shut my window. He knew he wasn't, he knew what was going on. He knew that there was going to be some guys that were going to peer into his window and check this out. And, and they knew that they would find Daniel praying. They knew that Daniel would be disobedient to man's law when God's law trumped it. Isn't that great? These guys knew that Daniel would be more devoted to his God than anything else in the world. So with windows open, these corrupt men peer into his window and they say, ah, we got him. 
And Daniel is put in front of the king. He's convicted of this crazy law that's been put into place. He's sentenced to the lion's den, and there's a procession of people that follow Daniel to the den. And just before he is pushed inside of the cave for the lions to eat him up, King Darius, knowing that he is so foolish that he let these senators and these representatives get the upper hand on him, he says, Daniel, may your God whom you... This is great, great testimony. Daniel, may the God whom you continually serve rescue you. Continually serve. That's what this is about. No stutter steps in the faith. No wishy-washy moments. A life of dedication to the Lord. Verse 17, so a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of his noble. So like everybody's pressing their ring and they're like, yeah, we got him now. Notice the, notice the phrasing in verse 17, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Sounds like Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea takes him off of the cross, places him in his own tomb. Jesus is in a rented tomb. Makes sense. He doesn't need it. And the Romans place a seal, place guards, so that Jesus' situation may not be changed. We get to see how that's changed in a couple weeks on Easter, don't we? So that Daniel's situation may not be changed. Daniel is found upright. Daniel is found obedient. And here's the third thing. Daniel is found rescued and saved. You know the story. There doesn't need to be any more uh, dramatics to it. King Darius Foolish, he knew it. He couldn't save Daniel. Daniel knew he couldn't save himself. So God must intervene in a miraculous way. And the night goes by. The Bible tells us that Darius can't sleep a wink. He, know, he, he knows he's met up, messed up. I assume Daniel slept like a baby. Verse 20. At first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you... Again, continually serve. Been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel, ah, king, live forever. My God sent his angel. And he shut the mouth of the lions. They haven't hurt me. Because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done anything wrong before you, your majesty. Now, can you picture that night? Daniel's first thrown into the den. It's dark. He's panicked. The lions begin to encircle him. They begin to paw at him and roar at him. And that moment that Daniel thinks he's dinner, an angel of the Lord arrives, and he starts cracking the lip like a lion tamer, and all the lions scatter to the corner. And that angel begins to protect Daniel. And there's probably, at least in my mind, one lion who says, ah, heck with it. I'm not getting a meal tonight. So he cuddles up to Daniel. He lays down, and I, I can just picture Daniel so uh, secure in God's rescue that he lays his head upon the belly of the lion for a pillow. Why was Daniel rescued? There is no assurance that we're going to get the same kind of rescuing when we stand up for our beliefs, friends. But why was he rescued? What made him so special that God would intervene in a miraculous way and get involved in Daniel's plight that day? Did you hear it in Daniel's own words? Did you hear it in there? He says, they have not hurt me. Why? Because, listen, I was found innocent in 
his sight. Whose sight? His sight. His sight. God was watching. Daniel knew God was watching me the whole time. I wasn't going to trip up in my faith because God was watching. Because God was watching, my integrity was going to shape my character. My character was going to shape my reputation. You couldn't find any fault in this guy. He wasn't sinless, but man, he was sinning less and less and less every single day. Oh, and King, by the way, I was found faultless in your sight too when you examined my life. You know what God told the prophet Jeremiah? He said, I, the Lord, search the heart. God is searching the heart of every man. He said, I examine the mind. That means I know your motives here to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. And what we see in Daniel's story in chapter 6 is God's earthly judgment of a man, which is parallel to the heavenly judgment the eternal judgment that one day we're all going to receive as we stand before God. The Bible says, for all die and then we face judgment. And friends, here is the big problem in our lives. We are not always perfect in our integrity. We have chinks in our armor. We have fractured our character. We haven't lived faithfully. Are we going to be found rescued and saved? Thank goodness that God intervened in a miraculous way. And he sent us his son, Jesus. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We see it like this around here. One sin or a million sins, we're all in need of the same Savior. And then the Bible goes on to say, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ saves us. Jesus Christ rescues us. Even when we haven't lived up to the calling, when we haven't lived up to the perfection of Jesus Christ, even when we haven't lived up to the standards that God has set in our life, even when we've eaten the meal, even when we shut the window, rescued and saved when you call in the name of the Lord. Isn't that great stuff? And God says that's available for anyone today. Today is the day of salvation. So today, why not? Why not just say, look, I've blown it in integrity. I've blown it in character. My reputation is a mess. Or you're saying, you know what? I've been fooling people for a long time, but I haven't been fooling God, and he knows my heart. Today, I'm going to make that all right. I'm going to surrender myself to God. I'm going to call him Lord and Savior. I'm going to have my sins forgiven. I'm going to die in that baptistry. I'm going to raise a new creation. Christ is going to be the Lord of me from now on.